Welcome back, everybody. It's your host, Natalia, for another episode of More Than a Pretty Face. Today, I'm here with the incredible Kat Armas. Uh, Kat is getting her Master's in Divinity. Uh, she is also author of the forthcoming book, Abuelita Faith, and she is the podcast host of Protagonistas. So welcome, Kat. Thank you so much uh, for agreeing to come on the show. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. Yeah. No, thank you for having me. Um, well, yeah, I think you got the main stuff, which is uh, <laughs> that I uh, actually I'm submitting my final paper for my MDiv and my MAT degree. So I'm really Yay! excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I am tired, but um, yeah, and uh, submitted my manuscript for Awalita Faith. So um, looking forward to, to that being released next summer. Um, and yeah. Just doing my protagonista stuff, talking to uh, women of color and church leadership and theology, which is always fun. So, yeah. I know. That's one of the reasons, like, I was, I was, I've been revisiting a lot of your stuff um, lately, obviously, because you were coming on. Um, And and I was like, I should be prepared. Um, And and I was just like, oh, like, I forgot how rad I think she is. Like, I just, I, well, no, because I think you're doing, like, a lot of work one that needs to be done um I think especially like in church circles and and kind of being a voice that is not always heard um and I want to I want to I I had like booked market but of course now my computer wants to I was I revisited a piece of yours that you had written for uh relevant magazine a couple years ago and it was um how how covert racism poisons churches and I was like how timely um and you writ that you wrote that two years ago I mean those the issues that we're facing now as a country are are ever present they were present two years ago but very relevant now and I was like reading through it and I was like oh shoot like this is stuff that like people are really having to reckon with now and you wrote that piece like two years ago are people kind of like referencing that or I don't know yeah that's funny that you bring that up because I had forgotten about that piece and um I don't know where it was that I I sort of remembered I was like wait I think I wrote about this like (laughs) a couple years ago um so I I found it and I sent it to a friend of mine and I was like you know because obviously when the whole George Floyd stuff started happening, um, you know, there were a lot of people sort of having brand new conversations about this stuff. So, um, I had sent it to some people. I'm like, Hey, this is sort of like a very intro of what we're starting to talk about. Um, and yeah, I remember when I first posted that, I, I mean, a, f- a few people on Twitter, like quote tweeted it were like heresy, you know, like this is so heretical. <laughs> and, and I was just like, Oh, okay. But now, <laughs> I mean, you know, what are you gonna do I, I get that often so um just for talking about women on yeah you're just like it's Tuesday I don't right, right. I was like women should preach heretic you know? but um yeah so a couple people had quote tweeted it or like you know had, had mm. commented about how it's heretical um but it's funny because now a lot of I mean I'm assuming that it's sort of um fits a little better with our culture you know what I mean because maybe back then it was kind of out of nowhere even though it wasn't out of nowhere but it never um, is (laughs) right right but as far as just like the general population talking about um covert overt racism particularly within our churches I don't think that that was as 
talked about. Um, so yeah, so at least, you know, maybe the heretic, the people who thought I was a heretic back then are like, oh, okay. <laughs> probably not, but you know. <laughs> so let's like back up like a wee bit because I feel like we like jumped in that I was, but like didn't explain like who you are and kind of how you got started on this journey because you do focus on like women in the church and like diverse voices and um it and that's often a space that like people of color like us are like left out of so can you like give like maybe a, a quick one too like you know how you got involved with like faith and what that looks like for you and like how you got to where you are now yeah well, um, I didn't grow up in evangelicalism, and so I sort of came to evangelicalism, particularly white evangelicalism, as an adult. Um, and that was just, I grew up Catholic, and so I kind of, I literally, like, stumbled into a very evangelical, like, Hillsong-y event. <laughs> it was, like, the most, yeah. And, I mean, it really spoke to me, you know, and I think a lot of, I mean... Anytime you're going to have, you know, wor- worship or, you know, people speaking to, like, the heart of, like, the emotion of what it means to be human. I mean, I think that that's, that draws a lot of people, right? Um, and so it was exactly what I needed at the time. Um, and I, you know, I believe in, in you know, the, the power of God to speak in different situations and through different people. And so um, that really captivated me. And so that kind of, that I began sort of my journey into um, Protestantism or evangelicalism at that time um excuse me and that was uh, I was in Miami and you know Miami's a, a very Cuban city a very Latino Latina city um but you know when you have it's very Catholic but then when you do have any sort of Protestant or evangelical spaces I mean it is going to be very um quote-unquote non-denominational which just means Southern Baptist which just means really um very white and very evangelical in that sense um, which is very interesting because you'll go to a service and it's like half in Spanish, half in English, but the theology is not, you know, is very white. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I sort of just got into the, this quote unquote world. I don't know. <laughs> um, and so, and I, I entered in that space. And so I ended up at a, a Southern Baptist seminary. Um, and then from there, I just started realizing the more I got into Greek and, and well, particularly Greek at that time. And the more that I got into just biblical studies, um, and the more that I was just really just learning from like white men, the more I realized, like, wait a minute, how does this intersect with my life, um, being someone who grew up with a single mom, you know, in an immigrant city, and all these things, I'm like, how does that, it just felt so far from my experiences, just my personal experiences, um, as I was, like, learning the Bible through the lens of, like, someone who grew up on a farm in the South, you know, which is fine, but I just, it just didn't inter- inter- mm-hmm. intersect, you know, with my reality, um, so then through that, I just really started digging into scripture. And I think, um, I don't know if, if you follow me on Instagram, but yesterday I did um, like a, an Instagram live on the Bible. And that was one of the main things like where it really, like where it really hit me um, was just, you know, studying scripture. And the more that I got into scripture, the more that I found liberation within the text. And, and it's one of those things like, you know, progressive spaces might be like yeah whatever the bible you know who cares about that thing and then you know like fundamentalist spaces will be like the bot you know like the bible. so it's like this weird you know um, yeah but i still very much i love the bible and i still look to it um in many ways for just personal reflection but also just to understand um, christianity and how christianity has been taught or spoken about or you know in a historical sense um and then yeah just because i i, I think that the stories are beautiful 
beautiful and you find life and you find liberation within them. And so I'm sort of in this weird middle space of trying to redeem the parts of scripture that people use to silence and to oppress. Um, so that's sort of how my journey started, particularly with women. Um, but, you know, a lot of people talk about nowadays, which I'm really glad they do, that, you know, women of color, like we experience the, the racism that we experience is often very sexualized and the, and the sexism we experience is often very racialized. Like there's mm-hmm. not really a separation of the two. And I think for a long time, I didn't know, I didn't have the vocabulary to understand that. Right. And so I interpreted it as sexism, um, in many ways and just, you know, general patriarchal beliefs and views about Christianity or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, the more that I look back, the more I realize, well, that was also very racialized because I, you know, came from a totally different environment, right? Like, I wasn't raised in um, a particular, like, in the environment that fostered that sort of theology. I was very much outside of that. And so I think that those two things were just a recipe for disaster. Um, and it was very hard. It was very hard. You know, I, I had, you know, I, I tried to start little small groups with like young women to read the Bible and, you know, pastors or not pastors, but a pastor, you know, said that I was unsubmissive. I didn't ask for his permission. And it was, again, it was very culturally, (laughs) you know, racist because I was an outspoken Latina woman. Right. And that's very different from the experiences back then or there in that specific location. Um, but it was also obviously very sexist because I was just a woman period, you know, taking initiative. Right. Um, so that's kind of how the journey started. And then I realized, like, you know, I, I, I need to get out of this space. It wasn't um, helpful for me in any way or, or not just helpful for me, but it wasn't life giving. It was life draining. Um, and so I started writing about um, my experiences as a woman. And of course, like I said, that intersected with my experiences as a Cuban woman um, in these spaces and how just my theological framework coming from a Catholic background and not just Catholic, but popular Catholicism which is rooted in a lot of um, just sort of indigenous um, ideology um, from the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so all these things just kind of started mixing together. And that's how, um, yeah, how I got got here, got into this. (laughs) I love that because I... I think you the things that you talk about and you bring up are so like so many things that I think about and and try to bring up in faith because I think we do have a very like western lens of looking at faith and then I think like for me personally faith and religion are like two separate Mm -hmm. things um and I think we often conflate the two uh and that's where we get the the hypocrisy that Mm -hmm. so many people complain about some people that are like anti-faith anti-god like they're like there's so much hypocrisy and i was like well that's kind of like the religion aspect that's not the faith of that Mm -hmm. and what was it like for you to try to like parse that and and kind of explain that to people or explain it to yourself to separate i guess like the faith from religion kind of thing Yeah, um, I think I'm still figuring it out, right? I think we're on a constant journey of trying to um, make sense of that because it is so um, weirdly, I know that's not a word, but it's so awkwardly tied together, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Especially when you look at the history of the church um, because the history of Christianity, I mean, literally, like, 
in you know the third fourth century like not that much later than what we see in the gospels and what we see in in you know in just the new testament in general it just took a really dark turn really Mm -hmm. quickly really soon right um and so i think when we're I mean, at least for me, it just goes back to constantly trying to understand and parse out the life of Jesus. Um, Because, I mean, the second that, you know, people just start, um, and I, you know, I was talking about this last night, but like we, you know, you read the Gospels and then you read or, or, you know, in general, people read the Gospels and then they read Paul. And it's almost like what Paul says supersedes everything that Jesus did or everything Jesus said, Mm, you know, mm. and it's very different context. Right. And so it's even in that like trying to parse well what what it has been just the history of interpretation and what do we see in the life of jesus period right what do we see what is the grand narrative of scripture what do we see when you know god cares about god's people or or what does god do for god's people how does god interact with god's people? i mean there's so many things um and it i mean it really is a challenge because you know when people say you know i i hate god or i hate you know all these things and i'm yeah. like I mean, I get it. I would too if I saw, you know, like when you're watching the news and, you know, all these weird things, you know, like Mike Pence quoting Hebrew, you know, what, what we're talking about right now. And I mean, I, that makes sense to me, you know? And so I have a lot of um, patience for that, I think. I used to not, right? Because I thought it was a personal attack against my faith. Like you mm-hmm. said, I thought it was a, an attack against, you know, I have to stand for my faith, but it's not. It's an attack against, you know, um, how faith has been portrayed or how, yeah, religion or how faith has been portrayed in, in with just very, um, yeah, just very hateful and unfortunately uh, and, and very fundamentalist sort of views. And, um, and I think a lot of that stems from, yeah, pulling Paul out of context or ignoring the life of Jesus, you know, like fully um, so ignoring <laughs> that what? No, just like fully ignoring. Oh, yeah. The yes. life. That yeah, he was leading. completely ignored the life of Jesus. I'm like, wait, what? Wait, you so can't you be doing... <laughs> yeah. You can't be doing X, Y, and Z and talking about my man, JC, so... Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because right. it's, um... Because that is true. Like, that is that is so much of, like, attack. Like, my listeners know, and, like, my friends, like, like faith is, like, so important and integral into my life. And I remember, like, the first time I heard you on Good Christian Fun Podcast, um, I was just, like she understands me (laughs) um because because like having women at the center is so like powerful and we are so often overlooked and it's so weird because we are told like by people to like fit in like these weird little boxes that are convenient for them but not convenient for us Mm -hmm. and I think like for for me I was very lucky in the fact of like where I grew up the church I grew up in was like super diverse and like had like I actually went to church with like a lot of Hispanic people like a lot um and so like I I grew up in in such a diverse like atmosphere and I never really understood like how people saw Christians because like we didn't fit into what they said on tv or right. like you know like we weren't the Westboro Baptist Church like we just like didn't like fit that narrative and so in my mind I was like people can really obviously know that's not how the majority of us are because <laughs> I go to church with these people every day um and and then it wasn't really till I went to like college mm-hmm. and then um to see how like people viewed us 
And right. and then when people got to know me, they were like, oh, you're actually, like, kind of dope. And I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, then it wasn't, though, it wasn't until I moved to D.C. that I, I met people that were the ones that, like, I saw on TV or close to it. And that was what was wild to me. That shook mm-hmm. yeah. my faith. I was like, oh, y'all really are out here. Right. Just like in the in the wild. And right. <laughs> representing us. Yes. Yeah. And because I really I just like truly in my mind I was like, they're not there. Like those are yeah. fringe. Like, you know? I didn't think about them being like like people I'd see every single right. day. Cause that just wasn't the majority of my friends and that just wasn't the majority of people I grew up around and even in college like that just wasn't it. Right. Um and so that was like a big shaker to my faith when I when I moved down here. Do you have? Did you have like an experience in your life when you were like, "Oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore"? Yeah, no, I I totally get what you're saying. Um, and I think that yeah, I sort of because I you know in the beginning I bought into that narrative of like, well, Christians are so persecuted, you know, like. Christians love to buy into like the persecution narrative like everyone hates us you know because we love God well it's like no people dislike you because of the things that you stand for which are sometimes very (laughs) terrible Um, but people equate that to you know like uh, again going back to like what's happening now like people equate nationalistic beliefs to Mm -hmm. you know the life of Jesus and to Christianity and to faith and so yeah I think in the beginning I I sort of bought into that narrative like oh well I can't talk about my faith or people hate me well it's like well no I mean if I have you know very oppressive views on women or whatever then yeah people are going to push back against that and I'm glad that some people did you know um but now I think well and it was in that process when the more that I would dig into scripture in the you know that first seminary I was at that very white um, evangelical setting the more that I would dig into the Bible the more I was like well wait a minute you know um this is not necessarily what it says and even if it does you turn you know you flip two pages later and it says the opposite and so which one are we gonna you know hold to um and yeah and it was just this idea of starting to ask questions about the Bible and not in a way that would like steer me away from God but in a way that would strengthen um allow me to become a critical thinker when it comes to the Bible um allow me to become a critical thinker when it comes to why I believe the things that I believe um why you know I want to stick to this story um you know because I prior to you know quote unquote becoming a Christian in the sense like in the evangelical sense um uh, I mean I was chilling you know I was working <laughs> I was working as a you know I was working in um the psychology field and you know I was fine like I didn't need to to kind of you know jump into this super complicated (laughs) thing of being someone who speaks into and about religion or and about God or about faith in general um so yeah I think it was just um starting to realize that the things that I'm told um, to believe and the things that I'm told to, to preach or to say, yeah, it doesn't really line up with um, the, the grand narrative, mm. uh, how I was saying before. And I think that once that I, I kind of, and then once I think I started, 
you know, feeling the effects of racism and sexism. Because, of course, in Miami, you know, I'm the majority. Everyone's Cuban. Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily experience those things. And um, I grew up in a very matriarchal family. And so I didn't necessarily experience. I mean, I certainly experienced machismo, you know, Mm -hmm. in in my relationships and things like that, 100 percent. But as far as like, you know, me just like, you know, just being a person in the world you know and it wasn't until again I left my setting um kind of like how you were saying you get to DC and you're like whoa you know so it was similar you know I left my little my little bubble of of Miami and I was like whoa you know um and I think that that's where just a lot of the things that I was taught to believe just started crumbling you know it just just didn't wasn't making Mm -hmm. sense um so then yeah I had to sort of reconstruct my faith from from again from the life of Jesus you know where where can I start where where do I start Start. And I think that's where, you know, I was able to start from the beginning. Mm, and how did you get to Abuelita Faith? Yeah, so that was sort of um, in the process of all of this. I, I um, So when I got to Fuller, after I left the, the first seminary I was at, mm-hmm. um, this was the first time that I was invited to look into, you know, Latina theology, you know, Latina mm-hmm. feminist theology. Of course, you know, in the first setting I was at, that wasn't, they don't talk about any sort of theology yeah. other than, you know. Um, so I was invited to, to kind of look into that and start, you know, from my perspective, from my context, you know, being a Cuban woman and people encouraged me, like, Hey, have you read Mujerista theology? Have you read all of these things? And I was like, well, no, I haven't. And so, you know, the more that I started digging into um, Latina feminist theology and the more I started realizing, well, wait a minute, you know, cause I had completely disregarded my grandmother's faith. I had completely disregarded, you know, I had believed when I got really into uh, evangelicalism and, and all of that, I had all of a sudden, you know, fallen into the camp of believing that my grandmother, because she was Catholic, she was not saved. So I tried to like evangelize this poor woman who was so dedicated to the church and to Jesus her whole life. You know, I tried to like evangelize her to the ground and like, and then I started realizing like how stupid am I to think that, you know, my grandmother, just this, this person who was so devoted to others, to God, to the church, to, you know, who she, to just survival, you know, in a new country, that I would in any way believe that she wasn't quote unquote saved. And so that, you know, led me to start really understanding, well, what, you know, how, how do, what's the narrative of salvation, right? What's the narrative of, um, you know, other people and how they interact with faith and how is that racialized and how is that sexualized, right? And so that's sort of how I came to this. Um, well, I didn't create Awalita Theology that other people, um, have have talked about that before but I really really wanted to like just narrow in and focus on that specifically um, because that was very much my experiences you know my grandmother um, she raised me and and now looking back I mean she was the beacon of faith and spirituality in my life and for years I literally believed that she wasn't even a Christian like I mean I did when I was younger but then you know once I got into very white evangelical beliefs I, I was like oh my goodness you know and if she didn't convert quote-unquote to white evangelicalism then she wasn't a Christian and I you know that's just so horrific you know mm-hmm. like that really is just so horrific so you know that sort of started my process of um you know understanding faith from her perspective and even me as I still consider myself a Protestant and so how do I reconcile my Catholic upbringing with my Protestant faith right now and so that has led me to yeah dig into what what they call an awalita theology and start to sort of tease that out a little bit more. 
And what was the hardest first lesson that you had to learn from that? Well, I I think it definitely um, just a lot of forgiving myself and trying to forgive others for just the really terrible things that I believed. (laughs) And I think that is one of them that um, that, you know, people who are uneducated um, in in Western um, elite standards, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because my grandmother is very educated in life and very educated in experiences and very knowledgeable in all those things. Um, But she didn't have, obviously, a seminary degree or a college education. Um, So I think for me, it was, it's just been a lot of, of, you know, realizing that people possess knowledge and people possess wisdom in a lot of other ways other than what we think you know knowledge and wisdom is we're so used to seeing our understanding knowledge and wisdom coming from you know elite educated white men really Mm -hmm. um at least men in general and you know i started to wrestle with what if you know some of the greatest nuggets of wisdom that we can that we can glean from or we can gain come from Mm -hmm. real life on the ground quote-unquote uneducated um you know women who are on the margins who they're they you know are just trying to survive and they they know intimately who god is through their just everyday survival um and when you read scripture that's what you see right like just a lot of people just existing trying to live trying to eat um you know, trying to go get water at the well, trying to whatever. And, you know, God meets them there and they have, you know, an intimate connection with God, with Jesus. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's really sort of flipping knowledge on its head. And I think that was like something that I had to struggle through of retraining my mind to think that way. Um, but it was also so liberating and life-giving for me. Mm, mm. And you talked about your family and, like, obviously the, the things that we now know are not correct, but what you thought about your family of, like, quote-unquote, not being saved and, and what that looks like, how, how was that process to, I guess, kind of apologize to them and what did they think about about you when you were first going through your your conversion? I don't even want to call it conversion, right. but, like, kind of just change in direction. Yeah, well, uh, when I first you know, became radicalized in white evangelicalism because it definitely was radical at first. (laughs) Um, Literally, I read, like, that's radical. But um, (laughs) I think they were just shocked because it was so different from what they they knew. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, you know, my entire family was just like, whoa, you know, are are you okay? And it was very shocking for them um, at first. And so I think that, you know, kind of coming back to a place now where I value um, the, the faith and, and the lived ex- their lived experiences of, of you know, my, my family members, my mom and, and my grandmother and all these, you know, everyone else in my family. I think, um, you know, we've honestly, our relationship has gotten a lot closer. It's been a lot yeah, it's, it's been so beautiful. And I think that process though, um, and they were so patient with me, you know, it's funny. I actually tweeted this recently, but it, when I look back at, um, you know, all the people who, when I first, you know, became radicalized in white evangelicalism for, I mean, it wasn't very long that it was maybe a year or two, um, <laughs> probably a little longer, maybe, I don't know. But during that time, um, you know, so much, so many people that I know were so patient with me, you know, and, and we're just so loving and we're just trying to understand and, you know, um, 
but you know when it, when the other when I left that world and when I sort of came back to this place of like oh wait you know I this whole time been essentially marginalizing my own family for what mm-hmm. they believed um the people who I sort of walked away from instead of being patient or whatever the way that everyone was with me when I first you know stepped into fundamentalism you know they like we joked earlier called me a heretic and you know completely canceled me and I'm like wait aren't you guys supposed to be like the loving Christians you know that are supposed to Mm -hmm. be patient with me as I as my beliefs shift again um and so that was a little weird for me you know kind of coming to that realization like wow you know people who don't claim to be like these you know you know very um yeah radicalized christians um are so much more patient and loving than a lot of the people that you know claim to have this belief and so i think even that is a process of coming to terms with wait a minute so yeah what does it mean to really have this quote-unquote relationship and love for jesus if it's going to come out in ways that are so ugly Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know um so yeah now did like as as a woman like in the church and this is something obviously the church has been wrestling with for generations on generations of of being like a leader and a voice did you feel like you set yourself up in a way to be a leader or do you think people put that title on you when you started speaking yeah that's a good question um I so I always wanted to write um before I started seminary I you know I had a blog and and I would just kind of write about my experiences and I wanted to write about God I wanted to be more knowledgeable about God so that I could write about God and again even that isn't in and of itself like a western <laughs> well, I have to be educated on God if I want to write about God um, but um, but yeah but that's that was my, the reason why I went to seminary and so I think the more um, you know that I began to learn I just have a, I've always had a passion to teach from my experiences and through writing you know really and um, yeah so I just started writing about my experiences and so I don't know if you're into the Enneagram, but I'm, a, I'm like a hardcore Enneagram 8. Um, <laughs> I'm a 2. So, I'm, a, I'm a very hard 2. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yes. My I'm, my wings are wing 1 and wing 3. Like, I am a 2 oh, wow. for 2's yeah. sake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a hardcore Enneagram 8. And so uh, confrontation is my love language. Like, I don't shy away from that. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, when I started experiencing all these really just really horrific experiences, um, in that first setting that I was in. And, and I, you know, like I said, that pastor was saying all these things about me just because, you know, calling in submissive and all these things, just because I started a Bible study or not even started a Bible study. I started literally getting together with girls in the church and we would read the Bible together. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was it's like so book club. Bizarre. Like. Yeah. Yeah. So bizarre. Um, you know, but that was really painful for me. And I'm just the kind of person that I was like, you know, I can't stay silent about this. Like this is, this is abuse, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and because I I think it was easy for me to, to see that because I didn't grow up in that. Right. So Mm -hmm. it was something that it was new to me. That sort of like very spiritually abusive, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of those tactics of silencing, um, that was new to me. I, I hadn't experienced that. So, um, I was able to catch it, you know, and, and I just wrote about it. I was like, hey, and then I, and I wrote, you know, I started writing about these experiences. And, you know, a lot of times um, as women, um, people don't feel comfortable sharing that. Because they're not, people aren't going to like yeah. it, right? Um, 
And of course, I received so much pushback, but I also received, you know, so many people like, wow, this has been my experience. You know, of course, how it always is, right? This has been my experience and, you know, thank you for saying something. And so it was one of those things that it was, it was very hard, you know, of course, so much pushback from a lot of people in that camp, but also so much freedom. And I was able to see a lot of people um, step into freedom just from me saying, Hey, this is, these are my experiences. And this was, this was literally, I think 10 months before um, all of the SBC um, uh, scandal, uh, sexual abuse scandals mm-hmm. came out. So it was funny because less than a year later, I had the same people that were calling me a heretic who were coming around and saying, do you have any resources? Like, well, you know, I, I want to read more about this because <laughs> clearly something's off. If all of a sudden, like 500, I think it was like women were came out, they were mm-hmm. sexually abused. Like, that's mm-hmm. not a small issue. Like, that's a big, you know, issue. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I think, yeah, to answer your question, I think that I didn't. it just sort of happened in the sense that I was like, I'm just going to share my experiences because it was very, almost very, well, very traumatic. I don't, I I don't use the word trauma lightly, but it was, it felt very traumatic for me at the time. Um, Yeah. And so I think in that sense, I just was like, well, I'm just going to keep writing because, you know, people are just going to, people are listening. So I'm going to keep writing. And so I just kept writing and writing and writing and, and then, yeah, and then from there, and then I realized, like, um, actually, someone tweeted this today, and I, I thought it was so helpful that they're like, you know, it's it's so important that we name our skills and our abilities and that we name um, what we're good at, right? Mm. Uh, because, you know, especially for people of color and especially for women of color, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we don't, we don't like to name what we're good at because we're, you know, we're kind of silent about that. Yeah. Um, and so I think that for me, that process of just like, all right, you know, I, I just got to keep digging into this, um, because people are finding life through it. And I think, um, yeah, so, so that was sort of, it, it all just kind of just happened. And I think, um, part of it was just naming it, naming, well, naming the hurt, um, and then using whatever skills or knowledge I had, you know, being that I was in seminary, I mm-hmm. was learning about the Bible, right? I was paying a lot of money to get, you know, to get gain knowledge on the Bible. So it's one of these things where, well, I have this knowledge on, of, of scripture that I've, I'm paying for, you know, and I'm learning about. And at the same time, like I, you know, I have this, this skill that I'm developing of writing and of speaking. So let me put those two together and let me try and, and you know, build a pathway for folks so that they don't feel alone. Mm, and and what made you I know you wanted to like build that pathway but did you have like a a, a moment of thinking like I don't want to continue this because you left that seminary and then you right. went to another one you know like you then traveled cross country so what made you want to like go go back besides I guess like wanting to use your voice because I feel like after that experience like nobody would fault you for being like okay like I don't know if this is right. for me yeah, um, I, I'm not sure. I think, like, it was hard. I mean, it mm-hmm. was hard, and there were moments that I was like, I don't know if I, don't know if I want to do this anymore, you know. Um, but I think just my passion for, for telling the truth and for, um, you know, yeah, just telling the truth, I think my passion for that um, was greater than anything else. Um and I, I really, my heart broke, I think because I had spent so much time 
uh, well, you know, a couple years, but I had spent time in and amongst women who um, were honestly traumatized and silenced and you know, the stories that I heard of, of young women, I mean, young white women too, of, of just like horrific abuse from pastors and fathers. And, um, yeah. And, and I would talk about this or I would write about it and, you know, I would receive messages of like, Oh my goodness, you know, I grew up in this and you know, these are my experiences. And, and I think that, um, I just like really, motivated me right it motivated me um to and I never intended to um you know be a a represent a voice of representation it Mm -hmm. was more so um this is real stuff and yeah we just got to keep talking about it and then like I said you know church abuse scandals started coming to light and then yeah folks just started asking me for resources and then you know I was I started realizing okay well I left you know I like you said I traveled across country now I'm in this liberating space I'm free to pursue my passions um and to develop my skills I'm free to do all these things well I'm gonna do it to the most of my abilities um because I feel like I'm called to it and I feel like I'm you know and I'm also um passionate about I'm passionate about the bible and I'm passionate about uh liberation I'm passionate about truth telling um and like I said, if I can marry these skills, um, the education, the skills and whatever, um, mm-hmm. then yeah, then I want to, you know, use that for, for whatever good that I can. And how did you kind of like, I guess, combine that with your personal life? Because I, I think uh, last time we had talked, you had met your husband at the mm-hmm. old sem- seminary, right? And mm-hmm. y'all had then moved. Was that Was that hard for him, for you taking this, I guess... I don't want to say unpopular stance in mm-hmm. the church, but um, a different stance right. of being this woman that's kind of like standing up and you met someone at a place that was like way more conservative than you had ever planned to be. Yeah. Um, well, luckily, and, and we talk about this all the time because <laughs> it really is, we, it, we just got really lucky that we sort of both deconstructed at the same time mm-hmm. um, because I know a lot of couples who just didn't or haven't or they're on completely different pages um and I think for him um he was he was also in seminary he dropped out actually and but he was in seminary at the time and he was studying church history at the same time that I was studying Greek and in church history you know he was reading all these stories of women um who were leading and doing all these things and I was reading you know I'm studying the text I'm studying the bible and I'm seeing all these instances where where it was it was very clear that also women in the New Testament were leading and so we're coming to the same conclusions from two different aspects or mm-hmm. you know he's looking at it through church history I'm looking at it through just the bible and we were both sort of coming to these things you know and then um you know I was of course everything after um the 2016 election and in the midst of all of that um a lot of things were obviously coming to the forefront and um yeah we we just at the same time we're we're realizing you know wait a minute a lot of these things are off you know um so Thankfully, you know, we sort of came to that place at the same time because, I mean, we talk about it like imagine if we didn't like, I don't know, <laughs> we would have been able to last, you know, mm-hmm. like because it's just very, like you said, a very dramatic or, or drastic change. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, thankfully, we did that together at the same time and in different ways, obviously, um, you know, he changed careers and went into, um, you know, computer science stuff. And and I just kept on this trajectory of, of speaking about spiritual matters. Um, and I think that uh, in that instance, I think a lot of folks that we used to know are very... 
I think that that is a, a place of tension for them because it would seem like I'm the quote unquote spiritual leader. And, you know, in many ways people think, well, their marriage surely can't be, you know, <laughs> healthy or happy, you know? And I'm like, actually it's both. And so that just goes to show you that, you know, you can have, um, marriages that look a lot of different ways that are, are you know, mm-hmm. happy and whatever. So You're like, I'll keep them for like at least another year or two. So like, <laughs> so like, we'll see how this works out. Right. So where do you, I mean, in writing, so I want to kind of like switch a little bit to you, like writing Avalita Faith and, mm-hmm. and putting that, like that wisdom, that knowledge down, like on, on paper, what was that process like for you to be writing a book about faith not just from like a what do they call it like an elevated lens mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but right. you know this is like your grandmother your grandmother's grandmother so like what was that like for you yeah so whew, that was an excruciating process <laughs> yes I do Don't not envy book writers I do not envy book writers yes it's a <laughs> Yeah, I tell people all the time, I do not recommend it. So if you can do something else, do that. Um, yeah, so I, it's funny because I, I thought of the idea of the book, I mean, two years ago. I had the process of of pitching it to an agent mm-hmm. and then signing an agent and then writing a proposal, like all of these things. Um, I wrote a, an entirely different book than what I had first thought of um, mm-hmm. and not for any reason other than I mean think about how much your theology or you grow in in two years right yeah. I mean if you're constantly reading and you're constantly studying you're constantly having conversations with people and you know um and really it's just it's I mean, you change and you grow mm-hmm. and you shift a lot right and and my theology has changed and shifted and grown even in two years and so um I think that's the I think that's the hardest part about writing a book is um and, and I literally, like, I submitted my manuscript last week, and I'm like, I don't even know if I'll believe any of this stuff in a year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know, which is terrifying. I think that's yeah. the scariest part. Like, will I even agree with this in a year? I mean, granted, I'm sure for the most part I will, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just the just because we're constantly growing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, as far as the process of writing something so personal, um, I think it was a heal. It was very healing for me mm. um, in many ways because I, like I said, I, I'm, I'm digging into the life of my grandmother to find these gems of faith and, and spirituality and wisdom. And it doesn't necessarily look like, um, like for example, it's not like I'm writing about, well, she sat there and read her Bible 12 hours a day. Like <laughs> I'm looking for alternate, you know, forms of faith and knowledge and spirituality and, um, just real life. And I'm, and I'm also digging into that in scripture, because if you read in scripture, a lot of the people, um, you know, that, that, that Jesus or, or a lot of the women that are considered, um, beacons of faith or spirituality mm-hmm. are matriarchs, the foremothers, they didn't sit there and read a Bible for 12 hours a day, right? Mm-hmm. Like they were working out their faith in real time. And so it looks different. So I'm, you know, in, into the life of my grandmother and, and the life of women in scripture and women throughout history, really, that um, it sort of have these char- characteristics that women in the Bible, or, you know, that, that I'm looking for these characteristics throughout history from the Hebrew scriptures, mm-hmm. you know, to my grandmother, to present day. And I'm finding these, you know, beautiful nuggets of of just you know that 
would look that that would, would never be talked about in dominant culture as spirituality or faith or mm-hmm. whatever you know so I think that was very healing for me because I was able to find ways that like you know I carry that wisdom in my body too and I carry that spirituality in my body and it's embodied wisdom embodied knowledge embodied spirituality and I carry that in me from my ancestors right um, at, from the Hebrew you know the cloud of witnesses so we carry this in our body but I think because dominant culture white you know white western european culture has taught us to separate you know body and soul right you have the body and then you have the spirit and so it's we we live in these like really disembodied disconnected realities and mm-hmm. i think for me to dig into um a more embodied spirituality and embodied faith and saying that like you know my grandmother carried knowledge in her body through the way that she danced salsa and that mm-hmm. is in and of itself an embodied knowledge and a form of spirituality because when she dance salsa she you know she came home and she was more fully herself so she was more fully able to connect with god in in her in her full embodied self right mm. so all of these things i think was very healing for me um and realizing that man you know god um how god interacts with god's people is so rich and so deep and so profound and it's so much more than just quoting a bible verse or you know it's there is just so much like god if we believe that god is intimately connected to all things and all people then mm-hmm. then we can find so much more if we yeah dig deep and so for me the process was healing and it was it was hard you know I cried a lot because I would think about that my grandmother has she's still alive she has dementia um you know so it's just very different right her reality yeah. and my relationship with her are so different so um you know just reminiscing on memories and you know I, I like I would sit there and I'd be writing and I'm sweeping and you know my husband would call like are you okay I'm like yeah I'm just writing <laughs> about this memory you know <laughs> so I, it was it was a lot of emotions a very mm-hmm. emotional process <laughs> I love I love what you brought you brought up the fact of like these women in the bible and honestly anybody wasn't weren't sitting around writing reading scripture the whole time like I think that is I think that's a really profound statement because there is like this idea that to be a person of faith you like are like reading your bible all the time not that your relationship and your connection with God is not important but it's not only found through sitting and reading and highlighting you know it was it was it's found in the salsa dancing and the expression of yourself and and feeling a freedom in it and I it reminds me of like um whenever you know I would especially when I was younger like talk to I make it sound like I'm like 85 I mean I am (laughs) spiritually I'm 85 years old but um in in human years (laughs) not that old but uh but like telling people they were like oh it's like it's so much rules and it puts like restrictions and it's like and my thing is like I don't know I've always found like my faith like super freeing like Mm. I've never um, yeah I I just I've never felt like super confined to to rules and I know that's a very like unique and and a lot of people don't I mean obviously there's quote-unquote rules but you know I didn't I didn't find it um restrictive in that sense that I felt like I was missing Mm. out on something and so often I feel like that is like a pushback it's like you're missing out on this you're excluding this you're and I was like I don't I don't know like I don't (laughs) I just I personally I personally and and this is not to say I didn't have my own struggles or doubts or or reconfiguring what I want to do or not you know but right. but it was it I don't think it 
necessarily ever had to do with this idea of like I can only be Christian this one way. Yeah. And and I think I think you're seeing maybe seeing that now and I I don't know cuz I'm only in my little bubble. But you know <laughs> of 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 people who are realizing there's like more than one way. Yeah. To be, and you don't have to it doesn't have to look the same. Right. You know, and I and I think that's a reckoning that we're kind of that we're having kind of as like a nation right now yeah. and and what that looks like because even like you were saying 2 years ago this type of way of thinking was so like blasphemy. Like, you know. <laughs> but um but now I think I can think of like so many people that would agree with you. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's crazy how it changes so fast, like, society, right? Like, how, yeah, beliefs and stuff. That's what I'm saying. Like, as a society, we've shifted so much in, in six months. I mean, from the beginning of, of uh, COVID to now, I feel like we've changed. It's been you know? a year and a day since we've been in yeah. COVID. Like, I fully... Yeah, yeah. So we've shifted a lot, and I think that that... Um, yeah, I think we're gonna just keep shifting for for the good. I hope you know. <laughs> and just real quick, I want to talk about your podcast, Protagonistas. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, I actually next month it'll be two years, uh, which is exciting. But I I sort of just started it as a little passion project. Like I didn't really have any I don't know big ideas or goals <laughs> for it. <laughs> um, but I noticed, I mean, I, I used to, I, I don't listen to as many podcasts anymore. I'm just so busy, but I used to listen to a lot of podcasts and I, all the podcasts that I love about, you know, church leadership theology were, I mean, done by white men, you know, I mean, podcasting used to be very, very male and very, very white. Um, so back then, two years ago, I was like, the, I think the only podcast by a woman of color, literally, that I found that was a Christian, you know, like from a faith perspective yeah. was Amina Brown. And I was like, wait, this is like the only, you know, I mean, granted, I'm sure there were more, but yeah. I, I just, it was just hard to find. Um, so I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of learning. Like I'm still, you know, we're always learning. And so I was, I'm in the process of learning. Why don't I just like learn out loud? You know, like, <laughs> why don't I just like learn with a microphone and record it, you know? Um, so I always say I didn't start the protagonistas, um, because I wanted to teach something. I started it because I wanted to learn out loud. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I just bought a mic. It was, you know, one of those things I'm like, all right, uh, I just bought it. Cause I, I was meeting so many awesome women of color that were doing such awesome things. And, you know, and I would talk to people uh, cause I was still, you know, not super far removed from my old context. So, and people just didn't know of women of color doing things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just people just didn't like it's it, as weird as that sounds. A lot no. of people did not everybody, but a lot of people, so I was like, well, um, let me just record these conversations and have them. And I did. And yeah, so that's, it's been fun. It's a lot of work as I'm sure, you know, but it's fun. It is. It was a lot more work than I originally had thought it was good. I was like, I'm just going to do Cause very similar to you. I just kind of was like, I want to like hear from women from right. everywhere. And so I got my mic and my little pop filter on, on Amazon, <laughs> to the jet, you know, yeah. um, and here we are like yeah I'm also like over two years in so it's just yeah so it's just like it's it definitely is it it starts off as something small and then all of a sudden there's like so many moving parts that you didn't 
originally right. planned for, but I'm, I'm still, like, really grateful. I mean, so where do you see yourself, you know, um, post, because you're about to turn in your last paper, you achieved uh-huh. it, you finished, <laughs> I know that feeling, I just graduated grad school, like, a year and a half ago now, so I get oh, it. Hey, congrats. Thank yeah. you. Um, so where do you, you know, what's, what's, I, I hate that, what's next, but like, what's, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Um, well, um, just focusing on this, on this book launch, um, within, so it'll be out next, just prepping for that, um, and I'm also applying to PhD programs, and so trying to figure out where I want to go, and, um, but I do plan to continue in academia, uh, mainly because I do have a passion to, um, yeah, just I, I realize the more that I'm in academia that a lot of the conversations that we're having in the academy are mm-hmm. like ten years ahead of what everybody else would, would be a mm-hmm. conversation. And not and I don't mean ten years ahead in the sense of like like people are having these conversations, but I feel like we're just having it at these like intellectual levels that I think people on the ground need to be like they need to know about, right? Um, like just the idea of decolonization, right? Like right now it's a buzzword and everyone's like, oh my God, decolonize, decolonize, you know, but that's like an actual theory and like an actual study and like an actual discipline that, um, people have been talking about for decades. Right. Um, and for, and right now we're just sort of starting to talk about it. Um, and, but it's cutesy and it's buzzy and it's, you know, and it's, it really isn't a cute thing, right? We're, we're dealing with, you know, the oppression and subjugation of a lot of people. And so I, um, yeah, I just have a passion to translate these things into, um, something that just everyone can engage with. I want, I want theology and I want stuff that the conversations that we're having in the academy to be accessible. And so my hope is to try and do that as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, that's my hope for Awalita theology. Um, I do, I do look at Awalita theology through a decolonial lens. Um, and then I use womanist, um, a lot of woman, womanist scholars as uh, to do like my exegetical work. Mm-hmm. And so it has a little bit of liberation theology and it has a little bit of decolonial uh, theory. And so I'm just trying to bring these conversations into just an everyday, um, yeah, an everyday place. And so I hope to continue doing that and, you know, through my podcast and through whatever other writing, um, I, I can do. I mean, you are doing it because here I am asking the questions. Um, so the last question I ask all my guests is, how do you define being a woman or woman or womanhood? Yeah, so whew, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, um, something that I've been thinking a lot about, and this doesn't directly answer your question, but somewhat does. Um, <laughs> I'm realizing how how often or how much or whatever, how normal it is for us, um, as women, as women of color to constantly be, um, holding a lot of different identities at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, and just people in general hold a lot of different identities at the same time, but that's not something, again, it's not a Western thing. You know, you're, you are, you know, you're just sort of one thing and then that's (laughs) it. Um, but I think for me to be a woman means for me to hold a lot of different identities um, mm-hmm. and a lot of times they contradict each other and a lot of times their intention and a lot of times they flow beautifully in and out of each other and I think that um, yeah just to, to be um, someone who who is constantly in flux in and out of um, different ways of being different ways of knowing um, you know I, I was just reading this book and it's on indigenous spirituality and you know they say in the book one of the main things is you know women carry medicine in their hands and like we just intuitively carry medicine and we carry knowledge and we carry so many things in us um because of what's been um you know because of just what 
society or, or whatever, the, just the history of how women have been silenced. Um, but I think that, you know, the fact that we, we have a womb and we bring forth life and, you know, there's just so much that is so profound about women. Um, and so, or women identifying people. And so I, I think that, um, that, yeah. So for me to be a woman is just to, to carry medicine in my hands and in my body and, and, Mm. um, to kind of claim that, to reclaim the idea that we are, um, yeah, that we have, you know, I know healing powers sounds so out there, but no, (laughs) like we have life and healing in our bodies. Um, so yeah. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Kat, for joining me today. It's been great. Like, thank you. I'm truly, I love this conversation. So thank you so much um, for coming on. Anything you want to give a shout out to you plug? Um, Yeah. If you just want to follow me on social media, I'm on Instagram and Twitter, uh, Kat underscore Armis. So yeah. And I'll oh, and my website, Kat I'll have all of that in the show notes. And thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Thank you to Kat again. Uh, please connect with the show on Instagram and Twitter at PrettyFaceLady3. Um, and please go ahead and like us on Facebook at More Than a Pretty Face. If you'd like to email us because you want to be on the show and know someone who can be on the show, just want to say hi, please email us at PrettyFaceWomen at MTAPFPodcast.com. And talk to you soon. Bye-bye.